Alhamdulillah, we are um, about to start now. Um, as the days roll by, I think we realize that perhaps we are trying to do too many things in a short span of time. And given the pressures of uh, uh, time scales, sometimes things get left out and not covered properly. Um, one thing I had always wanted to mention right from the start and never managed to do so was to remind ourselves not to forget in our prayers the brothers who were at Belmarsh Prison. It might sound a bit odd and some people might feel a bit funny or sensitive about this topic, but you know, Muslims are in prison and the climate is not very conducive to our welfare. And I would like to personally ask the brothers and sisters to at least remember those brothers who are at, at Belmarsh Prison. They are not in any happy circumstances. They are much tortured mentally, I can say at least. Many of them are suffering a lot of deprivation and we don't even know if they're guilty of any particular criminal act. And even if they are guilty of some crime proven to be so, that crime may not be a crime according to Islam. So please, brothers and sisters, don't forget the brothers in Belmarsh prison. The second thing I didn't have time to cover and wouldn't get covered properly is about the Ibrahim appeal. I spoke to Ibrahim's mother today, and she is here on site, and they have been trying very hard to get a stall at this year's convention. And we looked into the uh, facilities and we couldn't provide them with two rooms or a tent or any facilities. So we said perhaps next year. But they have got leaflets put on the desks where there are free literature available. And I would like brothers and sisters to please pick up one of those leaflets and see what they can do. Ibrahim was a two-year-old boy who had passed away now. And um, he needed a bone marrow transplant. And the Anthony Nolan Trust they specialize in this field, but they hardly get any Asian donors which they need to match the bone marrow for Asian uh, patients. So they're looking for Muslims and, and particularly I mean, the Asians to uh, donate bone marrow compatible to patients. So Ibrahim Appeal, don't forget them, don't forget them support them, and try to uh, get involved in that project as well. The third item I didn't have time to mention is regarding uh, Feed the Homeless. That started about six months to a year ago with about five, ten people being fed. It's now grown to about 180 people being fed every week. It doesn't cost very much. And there's a tremendous potential to expand that across the country through networking and through resourcing and so forth. But it is taking a good shape, alhamdulillah, and you might want to support uh, this kind of project. If you want to know more detail on how to get involved, who to contact and so forth, I can mention that the brother's name is Imran, and he's in the Harrow Pinner area. And every uh, weekend on a Friday, every Friday, they go around beating the Christians to it, feeding the homeless people for the sake of Allah, for the sake of da'wah and so forth. And it is becoming more and more successful. Um, can I mention the feedback from before you? <laughs> and I was going to say the next item was IPO, but before that, as he permitted me, uh, we might have noticed feedback forms on your chairs, inshallah, I hope. Please um, complete them before you leave. It'll give us an idea of how to perhaps try to improve the, uh, the conference for next time. Um, you can hand them in at reception, at, at registration, at the information desk and so forth. Don't have to be done straight away. I mean, you can do it tomorrow before leaving, inshallah. But finally, and of course not in the least, uh, IPO, Islamic Propagation Organization. And brother, uh, this is Brother Omar Abdullah. I've known him for about 20 years or so, and I think sometimes we become complacent about the good work that goes on around the country and our relationship or friendship or brotherhood and so forth. 
And sometimes when we are neglectful of each other, misunderstandings can arise. And uh, I would like to assure Brother Omar Abdullah that he has my full support. IPO has full support. And uh, inshallah, we need to hear him out regarding the project that he does in terms of da'wah activities on tables in the streets, which is a very kind of hands-on, direct da'wah to people. And a lot of information gets passed on to people. And every single brother or sister person who becomes a Muslim through their effort, if we have supported it, as he reminded me today, we will get a huge amount of reward, inshallah ta'ala. And we don't want to miss out on that. And we raised a lot of cash today, alhamdulillah. I would like to perhaps support IPO with some of that cash as well. So Brother Omar Abdullah, jazakumullah khairan. Bismillah. brothers and sisters. Um, this, this matter of the dawah, uh, we had um, Brother Shabir mentioning some of the methods that we can use to convey and to spread Islam. Alhamdulillah, some of the arguments that we can use. But there's also uh, this project, and this project, alhamdulillah, is a very important and very effective project. Many of you may be aware of the dawah that's done in Hyde Park Corner. Well, the idea behind the IPO when it was established some 13 years ago was to try to establish uh, as many small Hyde Park Corners throughout the country, but with better adab, inshallah, better manners, and calling people, inshallah, to the right way. Alhamdulillah, since we've uh, established a project, over a thousand people have embraced Islam. Alhamdulillah. Now I know every week, it seems every week, we Muslims are seeing in the news, on the radio, on television, whatever else, in the papers, things which deeply offend us as Muslims. Blatant lies about Islam. And we need to ask ourselves what we can do about it. Well, this project, the Dawah Table Project, is something that we can do about it in our own areas. I, alhamdulillah, run a table in uh, Hammersmith, and there are many brothers here in the conference who run Dawah Tables themselves throughout the country. The Dawah table is a very basic and simple project. The first thing that comes to people's minds is I don't have knowledge. You don't need to be an alum. Basically, you sit behind the table as we're sat here with a poster on the front, which I'll just quickly show you. This, table, this poster basically says what we stand for. On the sides uh, of the poster, on the sides of the table, we also have uh, a, a verse of Quran. Uh, Ayat 256 of Surah Baqarah. We have Islamic books on the table, Qur'ans and other literature, which we give away. Brother Ibrahim does a table in Nottingham, by the way. And uh, we basically give away literature. We do not stop people in the streets. We sit down at the table, alhamdulillah, and people come to us. And when they come to us, then we tell them about Islam. So we don't stop them. We, sta we don't stand up. We sit down at the table. And when they want to know about Islam, alhamdulillah, uh, we... We tell them about Islam, but we don't, we don't uh, give them the hard sell like Christians. We do not imitate Christians in our da'wah. This work, as we know, Allah says in Surah Nahal, call the people to the way of your Lord with wisdom, words, and beautiful expressions, and argue with them in ways which are better. I mean, the Prophet said, if anybody were to embrace Islam in your hands, it would be better for you than the world and all it contains. There is no greater time, Allah knows best, since I've been a Muslim anyway, that da'wah was needed. And it really is needed at this, this particular moment in time. And it's very, very effective. Alhamdulillah. I was given a Qur'an when I was 17 years old. I didn't read it for eight years, and now I'm here talking to you. And many people have embraced Islam through the project. So any brothers that would like to become involved in the, the project and run a table, please go to the tape uh, where they're telling the tapes, the GMAS tapes, inshallah, you can leave your name and telephone number, and we will give you the books, the tables, the poster, and all of the training. And sisters, if you want to do the project yourselves, inshallah, 
please contact Sister Jamila Umjanaid and leave her your name, telephone number. I do my dower table with my daughter and my son. Myself, alhamdulillah, with a child. So there's no excuses, brothers. Get out there, give the dawah. If you can't give the dawah, give some financial support, as Jimas Jazakallah Khair have done for us. If you can't give financial support, then raise your hands in du'a. Supplicate for the dawah. Supplicate that Allah makes it strong and consistent and keeps it going. Jazakallah Khair. Salam. I'm going to leave you to it, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu rasulu. Tonight's lecture, inshallah, the nobility of Islamic Brotherhood, inshallah. The lecture, hopefully, will, because we've gone over time, it was meant to start at 9 o'clock, will hopefully continue till um, uh, 9.45. Yeah, sorry, 45 minutes, inshallah. Uh, and then we'll have, hopefully, uh, uh, maybe five minutes for question and answers if we have time, because we do need to break before the next session, inshallah. Uh, in this evening's lecture, inshallah, the, our sheikh will be covering uh, being brothers like the companions, dealing with differences between the brothers, rejecting racism, tribalism, and groupism, and preserving and promoting unity within the brothers, inshallah. So without further ado, I'll hand you over to our Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mawala. Amma ba'd, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. To begin, when Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu became the Khalifa, and you had amongst the Arabs those who had apostated and those who chose not to pay zakah, one of the key Muslim generals was Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu. Khalid ibn al-Walid, after the war on the apostates, he then went on to conquer Iraq. And if you know the swiftness of Khalid radiallahu anhu, within four months, he had conquered Iraq. He had basically gone through the entire country. And those four months of conquering uh, city after city after city, and then Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu sent him, sent him to Asham for the battle of Yarmouk. After all those battles, and I just said it quickly, he then received a letter from the new Khalifa, Umar radiallahu anhu, that he was no longer to be the leader. And now I thought about this very, very easily in any Muslim community. Someone who has done so much for the community, what if someone was to tell them, you're not the leader anymore, you need to step down, and this organization is going in it with a different leadership. You already know what would happen. That leader would say, who do you think you are taking this away from me? I built this with my own hands. But if you see Khadir radiallahu anhu's statement, when he was asked about, you know, this, when he was asked to go down from leadership and be, to become a regular soldier, Khalid radiallahu anhu said a statement to the point of that had I done it for other than Allah, then yes, I may have been angry. But I didn't do it for anyone except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when you read his statement about how Umar radiallahu anhu took him down from leadership, your heart can only fill with love for Khalid radiallahu anhu. Can only fill. And another example of this was Umar radiallahu anhu when he was going to Asham and Abu Ubaidah. You might know this story when Umar radiallahu anhu heard about a plague in the Asham area and he decided to go back to Medina. 
And Abu Ubaid ibn Jarrah radiallahu anhu, one of the great companions and the Muslim leaders, he said to Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, أَفَرَارٌ مِّنْ قَدَرِ اللَّهِ يَا عُمَر I don't think you understand how, how tough those words are. He said, are you running away from the destiny of Allah, O Umar? He's the Khalifa. And this is Abu Ubaidah talking to him. Now, normally, and I, and I thought about this, when people argue, like if someone was to stand up and just argue with the speaker, you would think that there's so much anger between these two people. But the companions, when they argued, they argued very uh, passionately. But after the argument, they were brothers. They did not say, well, because of this argumentation, they continued. And I'll give you this example. After that incident, Umar in fact did leave, and Abu Ubaidah was the emir of Asham during the khilaf of Umar anhu, And he stayed there because he was responsible for those people. Umar anhu, after that argument, he was sending him letters, hoping that he would take the Muslims and go to a higher ground up in the hills. And Abu Ubaidah wasn't leaving. And he, Umar was pleading with him because he knows he's going to die from that plague. And Abu Ubaidah did die. In that plague of Umwas, he, he died. And Umar cried. And this is after the argument that happened regarding that should they go back or not. There's um, on our message board, our student message board, forums.almaghrib.org. I started this thread called Anger versus Anger. That what you might see the companions and think they were angry, and then we might get into an argumentation and think we're angry, but there is a world of difference between the two. And I thought about that. I'm still been asking Shaykh, what is the difference between how they differed? And they differed very passionately, but it had nothing to do with further. Uh, it had nothing to do with breaking their brotherhood after that. Why is it that when we argue, it destroys our brotherhood? Everybody's afraid as soon as there's a tiny argument, we're all going to collapse and all of the structure, it's like a big fake structure that as soon as an argument starts, this group will break off and this group will go there, here and this uh, group will attack the other group. That it's almost like fake and you're almost feeling it too. Do you feel it? That, that could possibly happen? I think it's very easily. It's just waiting to happen an issue like moon sighting or something, and we're already divided down the row. And inshallah ta'ala, today we're going to address some of these things. <clears throat> Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, and this is in sharp contrast to a lot of what happens in masajid and so on and so forth. He was of the opinion, he was actually of the, uh, the four imams, he was of the opinion that camel meat breaks one's wudu, and the others didn't have this opinion. Meaning if you ate camel meat, how many people have eaten camel meat before? Okay. According to the majority, your wudu was broken when you did that. Okay. Unless you're humbly and your wudu doesn't break. He had this opinion that camel meat breaks one's wudu. And so they asked him, this is the question of the students. They said, what would you do if some guy ate camel meat in front of you? You saw him eat the camel meat. And then he got up, and he, you saw him. He didn't make wudu. He got up and he led the prayer. Would you pray behind him or not? And Imam Ahmad knew what they were asking. And you know the intentions behind it. He said, 
He said, would I not pray behind Imam Malik with Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib? He said, would I not pray behind these people? And that's, subhanAllah, it's a different level of fiqh. Fiqh meaning understanding. That even though there's a difference of opinion, it still doesn't connect to the brotherhood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created humans with many differences. On the outside, you have a difference, we have differences in color, differences in, in uh, languages, difference in accents. Some of you from London, some of you from Bradford, Manchester, all these things, right? Different accents. But all of that's on the outside. On the inside, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us with different intellects, different comprehensions, different ways that we filter information. While we're sitting here in this room, people are filtering different things. I'll tell a story, someone accepts the story in their mind. I'll tell a point about Islamic school, someone who has children is, is accepting that. There are different ways that the information is coming in, different ways of filtering it, different ways of processing it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows this. And so with all these differences, it's only natural that a human being differs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ خَلْقُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَاخْتِلَافُ أَلْسِنَتِكُمْ وَأَلْوَانِكُمْ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this is from His ayat, from His signs. That He created the heavens and the earth, and He created the ikhtilaf, the difference of alsinatikum, of your tongues, and your colors. And that in these are signs for those who know. And so these are the differences externally and internally, these are the differences. So if we try thinking that we're going to have a Muslim ummah that makes, that never differs, that's impossible. And it's not true. And it's the, um, as one sheikh said, it's the dream of someone who ate a very big dinner and they had a really nice sleep. And when they woke up, they'll say, well, let's everybody unite. They don't know what they're talking about. Because human beings are not like that. Human beings will differ. They will differ. And so this has to be um, understood right from the beginning. The question is not, will we differ or, or will we not differ? The question is, how do we act with one another at the time of difference? And what are the references that we go back to? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to command the good and forbid the evil. Al-amru bil-ma'roof and nahi an al-munka. It's a commandment. So much so that the people who don't command the good and forbid the evil, that's a nation that will be destroyed. That's a nation that will be destroyed. And you can even ask yourself, are Muslims commanding the good forbidding the evil in, in Britain? I would say no. Because you'll see munkarat everywhere we go and no one will say anything. Or if there is something said, it's not to our capacity. We can do much, much uh, stronger than this. And this is uh, just a side point about the Amr bil Ma'ruf Nahyan al Munkar. In a lot of these countries, the Western countries, it's the Christians that commanded the good and forbid the evil. The Christians. I know in, uh, do you have Walmart here? Walmart? In Walmart, they have these, um, these filthy magazines that they put up on the aisles when a person goes to the checkout or it's on the thing. Christian organization gathered together and they lobbied to get the dirty magazines off the shelves. And I'm not talking about pornography magazines, the, just the regular ones, the ones that you see at all, the, just the corner stores and so on and so forth. And they were, they were successful. Walmart, who has, they have maybe 50 million customers walk through their shops every single day, they submitted to this. 
and they took those magazines off the shelves. Do Muslims have the ability to do something like that? We have it. But we haven't commanded the good, forbidden the evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to do this. Command the good, forbid the evil. So, and, and you know, call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's almost like the person, they said, command the good, forbid the evil, command the good, forbid the and then they run out of the building. But does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell us the statement without telling us how to do it? Does He not tell us how to do it? Of course He does, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's like, here's the bake a chocolate cake, and instead of running around trying to figure out how the cake is baked, no wait, you'll find the recipe in the Qur'an. And you will bake the exact cake that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants, but if we don't know Arabic, if we haven't read the Qur'an, if we haven't studied our deen, and we're giving da'wah on top of that, you better believe we're giving the wrong kind of da'wah. Because we don't even know the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We've just heard slogans about it, but we don't know the haya, the, the life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us. Allah azza wa jal says in the Qur'an, ila rabbik. Is that the end of the verse? Is that the end of the verse? No? Why not? This is how Muslims act though. Call to the way of your Lord. Just go do it. Whatever you want. Just, just any way you do it. Alhamdulillah, you tried. You did your best or you think you did the best. Just go. That's the problem. It's because people think the ayah stops there. But it doesn't. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives three levels to the da'wah. Three levels. And level number one is a person calls to Allah. They don't run, a, run around before they know. Bil-hikmah. And hikmah is hikmah of knowledge. That the person actually has to know what they're talking about. Someone doesn't go and tell the people, say shahada. And then they go, what does shahada mean? They're like, I don't know. But someone told me that you're supposed to say shahada. So, you know, you go figure out. You can't do da'wah like that. And at the same time, the hikmah of wisdom, having wisdom in, in the way a person deals, the fiqh of the seerah, how the Prophet ﷺ dealt with people, because someone can learn something and then go around and, and, and convert it into this big hammer that they smash people's heads with. Even though it's authentic knowledge, the way that they say it is like, you munafiq, you need to pray fajr. Well, who's going to pray fajr if you call them munafiq? And so on. <clears throat> Al-Hikmah, I'm going to give this example of the nephews of the Prophet ﷺ. And many of you are familiar with this. You have to realize that the uh, Al-Hasan al anhum, they were very young. And they probably had more knowledge than uh, many of the elders at that time. You had Bedouins, you had so on and so forth, in their young age. And so they once saw this man come, and the man didn't know how to make wudu. So your typical scenario in our masjid, like, you know, brother, you're doing this wrong. It's wrong. Astaghfirullah. And everybody's staring at this person. person's face will turn red. And then they're like, I hate this masjid. I'm never coming back to the So on and so forth. Hassan and Hussain, radiallahu anhum, they actually planned. Interesting concept. They planned before giving da'wah. It's a very interesting concept. They didn't just jump into it. They stepped back. They said, how can we do this without hurting his feelings? 
And so they said, let's do it like this. We'll have a competition. We'll make the uncle the judge. And he can watch both of us from like third party without any kind of um, attack, personal attack on him. And he will learn how to make wudu. So they said, agree. So they said, uncle, uncle, can you tell us? Which, you know, we have an argument. Who, which one of us makes wudu better? And they said, we want to make you the judge. So honorable position. And so he said, okay, I'll be the judge. So slowly, they're looking at him, and they're like, like this. Make wudu like this, right? And and they're doing everything perfectly. And at the end of that, he says, Wallahi, you have taught me how to make wudu. He understood the lesson. How many times do you get da'wah like that? It's not very often. But this is the sunnah that the Prophet ﷺ taught to his companions. There's two dimensions to the hikmah. Hikmah ilmiyah and hikmah amaliyah. Hikmah ilmiyah is having wisdom of knowledge. And like we said, that's, that's important to have. And the example of someone who doesn't have wisdom of knowledge is like someone who tells people, he's very excited, tells everybody, get in my car. I think we call it minivan, you call it passenger something? What's it called? Sorry? People carrier. This person's got a people carrier and he's basically telling people, I'm really excited about this destination. I want you guys to get on this, on this people carrier, this minivan. And so they get on and he has no idea where he's going. What time of the day will he arrive? What time will he arrive? When? He will never arrive because he doesn't know where he's going. All he's doing is putting people in the passenger van and wasting their time driving them around town. And he's really excited about doing it. But he's just wasting time driving them around town. Eventually they'll get bored. They're like, what's this Islam about? Let me off here. And they get off the passenger van. And they turn their back on the dean because someone didn't take the time out to go to like MapQuest. Do you guys have MapQuest? These uh, driving directions on the internet? What do you guys call it? What? Multi-map? Okay. Multi-map. You go to multi-map, you say destination, tick, 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 Jannah. And then here you got the directions, and then you're like, everybody get in the, in the people carrier, I know where we're going. This is the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. step one, two, three, four, you won't be wasting time. That's hikmah, ilmiyah, hikmah amaliyah, beautiful example, is... The, um, the example, this is an Egyptian thing. I know there's like one Egyptian guy here. Any more Egyptians? That, there's the one Egyptian guy. We're trying to gather our people together. No? <laughs> Inshallah, we'll work harder next year to bring them. Um, in Egypt, they have this custom that after Salah, they go, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And then they turn and they go, Haraman. Right? Hey, brother. Haraman. <laughs> they go, Haraman, which is basically a dua. You know, may we, maybe one, may we one day pray in the Haram, in the Kaaba. And you're supposed to say in reply, Jama'an inshallah, like both of us together inshallah. This is the custom. Anybody else have that custom? I know Malaysians, Indonesians have customs, yeah? You're from where? Sudan? Okay, Sudan. Nobody else? Yes, brother? Which country? Morocco? Okay. In these countries, <clears throat> you know, you get a group of like young blood... And they're like, this is bid'ah. 
It's bid'ah. So this guy, he found out this is bid'ah. He's going to the masjid. He's just itching to have someone do that to him. So sure enough, sure enough, after salah, he says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and then you do the haraman. Haraman, right? So he does this. Lift your hand up. He said, the guy beside him says, haraman, and then he goes like this. Like, like that. He smacks the hand, and he says in his Egyptian accent, Mahiyash min sunnah. It's not part of the sunnah. Right? But notice how he taught him. He slapped his hand. And so the person says in reply to him, I didn't know the disrespect was the actual sunnah. Okay? Because he had the knowledge and he's correcting it. This is not what the Prophet did after Salah. But how do you tell that to people? Is another dimension of hikmah. And that also comes from the seerah of the Prophet So you see fiqh. A person studies fiqh. If they go to implement the fiqh immediately in the community, they will do it wrong most likely. Why? Because they haven't studied the seerah. And they haven't understood how the Prophet ﷺ took this information and taught it to the other people. In order to have um, hikmah, there are certain akhlaq, certain characteristics that a person has to have when they're giving nasiha to people. Number one is that they should be sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They should be sincere. This usually happens sometimes. Someone will go into a shop. Let's say for example, someone tells them, Brother, you need to grow your beard. Their immediate reaction is to search out mistakes of the person who just gave them that nasiha. So that they can counter, well, if I have to grow my beard, well, maybe you should clean your clothes. Or maybe you should get a miswak. Or something like that. When they counter, they would have never given that nasiha. And so it's a way of, um, you know, uh, championing themselves. Because they may have been hurt by the nasiha was given. That wasn't done sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a person should always ask, why am I giving this nasiha? Am I giving it to, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the sake of Allah? Or is there some human uh, need that I'm trying to uh, fulfill? The Prophet sallallahu said, whoever learns knowledge, knowledge from that which should be sought for the sake of Allah, only to receive a commodity of the material world, he shall, find the fragrance, he shall not find the fragrance of Jannah on the day of resurrection. A person should have kindness and gentleness. This is the default, the principle, the general principle in da'wah. A lot of people, they'll start with harshness. And they might even have quotations and citations where ulama of the past use harshness. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ, in the battles, that's as harsh as you can get. Those are tough. That's a battle where people are being killed and so on and so forth. But that comes after the stage of kindness and gentleness. And for a lot of people, they don't really reach the stage of being harsh because they haven't given uh, that much da'wah. An example of this is Musa and Harun when they were sent to Fir'aun. When they were sent to Fir'aun, Fir'aun at that time was a murderer of children. He detained Bani Israel. We're talking about detainees. Fir'aun detained an entire nation, an entire nation that he enslaved. You mentioned he, he, um, he said that he was the Lord Most High. All of these things, if you wanted to be tough against someone, Fir'aun was the man to be tough against. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Musa and Harun, 
اذهبا إلى فرعون إنه طغى Go to Fir'aun for he has transgressed. How should they speak to Fir'aun? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught them. فَقُولَا لَهُ قَوْلَ لَيْنَا So say to him, layin words. Layin is soft, gentle, cottony, those kind of feelings. The words should be soft like that. لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرْ أَوْ يَخْشَى That perhaps he would يَتَذَكَّرْ remember or fear Allah. And, and this is subhanAllah interesting. Allah Azza wa knew that Fir'aun wouldn't, wouldn't listen. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still told them to be kind and gentle. Kind and gentle. And there was one time that uh, a man came to the Khalifa. And he was very angry against the policies of the Khalifa. And so he got a chance to speak to the Khalifa. So he just thrashed the Khalifa. Just with his tongue, just you know, whipped the Khalifa up with his tongue. And the Khalifa said, hold on. He said, you're not better than Musa and Harun. You're not better than them. And he said, and I, I'm Muslim. I'm not worse than Fir'aun. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Harun and Musa to say to Fir'aun, قَوْلًا لَيِّنَا And he said, so the Muslims are more deserving of those, قَوْلًا لَيِّنَا They're more deserving of those words. When we're giving nasiha to people, we should take the time and clarify. And we shouldn't jump to conclusions and make assumptions. And this is interesting, just so you know, as a general reminder, because it's a problem that a lot of have with assumptions. When you write down the word assumptions, I'm not going to tell you, but just underline the first three letters of that word. Imam Ahmed narrates that um, with the chain of narrators leading Ibn Abbas عنه, that a man from Bani Salim passed by a group of the Prophet's companions. At, and it was a, during a time of war. The man said to them, Assalamu alaikum. And they said in reply, they concluded that he only said Assalamu alaikum as a deception. So that the, he, that person would be saved from being um, killed. It was a time of war. So they surrounded him, and one of those people killed that person. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, revealed the verse, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِذَا ضَرَبْتُمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَتَبَيَّنُوا وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ أَلْقَى إِلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامَ لَسْتَ مُؤْمِنًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, O oh, you who believe, if you go forth to fight in the cause of Allah, investigate. You don't jump to conclusion, don't make assumptions. فَتَبَيَّنُوا وَلَا تَقُولُوا And do not say, لِمَنْ أَلْقَى إِلَيْكُمْ السَّلَامَ لَسْتَ مُؤْمِنًا Don't say to someone who says السلام عليكم to you, don't judge their intentions. Because that's something from Allah subhanahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't say to someone who says السلام عليكم, don't say in reply, لَسْتَ مُؤْمِنًا Don't say that you are not a mu'min. And there's a beautiful statement that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says towards the end of the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كَذَلِكَ كُنْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلِ in the same way, on this kufr, on this misguidance, you were in the same situation only a little while ago. فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did minna, He favored you with the, with the deen, فَتَبَيَّنُوا So clarify and investigate before jumping to conclusions. You'll find people who only last week, they became, um, they started following the deen. Only last week. And they know, and they're, they're familiar with people who are, still two weeks before their, their guidance. So don't make assumptions about them. Give them a chance to come to the deen as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided you, inshaAllah. 
sincere and polite words. We spoke about the kindness. These are polite words. And a lot of people, when they um, get into argumentation, and this happens a lot on the internet, in da'wah, as soon as someone says something, the person replies almost like, like, wah! Right? They reply with that kind of da'wah. Someone says, why did your prophet do such and such? And they start almost like an explosion. They, they get so angry and crazy and... Um, happens on the internet. I won't say that a lot of UK people do it, but, you know, <laughs> on the internet, on the chat rooms. Sa'ad ibn, um, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, an, when he came to Medina, uh, sorry, when Mus'ab ibn Umair came to Medina, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was one of the leaders in Medina, and he went to Mus'ab to stop him from giving this message of Islam. And he told him that you either desist from this, or I'm going to kill you. And what's interesting about the statement, I said that Saad was going to kill him, and nobody even shook, right? If I said to you, I'm going to kill you, right? You don't really believe it. This nice guy, <laughs> you know, he gives lecture, he doesn't really mean it. Saad ibn Mu'adh is the leader of the, Muslim, of, of, the, uh, of the people in Medina at that time. He's the leader, and he has his sword with him. The sword is actually out. And when they say they're going to kill a person, they're not joking. And I'm just giving you this example. When Umar radiallahu anhu, you'll see these ahadith that he'll say, Ya Rasulullah, da'ni aqta'unuqa. he say, Ya Rasulullah, allow me to cut his, his head off. And a lot of people smile. Did you know it's not funny? Umar's not joking. He is dead serious. And the person he's talking about knows exactly that he's dead serious. And like I said here in the statement, he's saying that you either desist or I will kill you. And so, Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu anhu, he says to him in reply, Awala tajlis fatasma. Such a beautiful statement. And I actually, I memorized the statement and I used to say it all the time. Awala tajlis, tajlis fatasma, fa in radita amrana qabilta, wa in karihtahu kafafna ankama takra. Which basically means, that will you not sit and listen for a while? If what I'm going to say to you is agreeable to you, then you're welcome to accept it. And if it's disagreeable to you, I will desist from that which brings you disagreement or you dislike. And so he calmed down. He just told him he was going to kill him and he replied with such kind words. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh put the sword back. He sat down and he started listening. And now, who is he talking to? We're not talking about uh, da'is on a da'wah table or something like that. This is the da'i of the Prophet ﷺ. Mus'ab ibn Umair. Giving da'wah. Oh, what an amazing moment that would be. And he's giving da'wah to the leader of the Aus and Khazraj. And so, as he's speaking to him, the, the narrators, they say, Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad's face started to glow like a full moon. And you know when it came question and answer time, what did he ask? He said, how does someone become Muslim? And he said, you take a bath, you do your shahada and so on. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, that night, we're not talking about him planning to do a da'wah project in the upcoming year or something like that. He called all the people out in Medina and he said to them that every one of you is haram upon me, everyone male, female, children, everyone's haram until you believe in Allah and His Messenger. And that night they said there's not a home in Medina that went to sleep except with La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. All of this 
stemming from the kind words of Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu an. With regards to commanding the good and forbidding the evil, Muslims, and, and subhanAllah, a beautiful statement uh, that Dr. Abdul Hakim Quick said last year. He said, after 9-11, and, and I was listening to this, it's such an amazing thing, that after 9-11, people have reacted in different ways. Muslims react in different ways. One of the reactions is that um, Muslims chose to keep quiet. Basically, close down your uh, window shades, close down your car, just hide. And subhanAllah, the people who chose to hide, when, they will get arrested one way or the other. But when they get detained or arrested or something bad happens to them, by virtue of the fact that they chose to disconnect from the community, there's no community support for them. No one knows their name, they're gone, and, and the wolf just eats them alive. The second uh, reaction is the reaction of, let's integrate. We are Americans before we're Muslim. We are British before Muslim. We are just like you. We are democratic and republican at the same time. And we are communist and this and all of these things. And then they're like, well, what do you think about homosexuals? Homosexual is great and <laughs> everything's good. Let's all be, we're all confused in this big hodgepodge. And they're like, whatever. They're just dismissed. And then they'll be detained as well. They'll be harmed. And then you have another group that's just not based on knowledge, that chose an aggressive stance. Someone will say, hey, camel jockey, go back to your country. And then this person says, they burst out with, with swear words in reply. Aggressiveness, which also doesn't work. He said a beautiful statement that after 9-11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the Muslim community into a corner. That you either call to Allah or be destroyed. You have no option. You either be serious about the deen, you take the Qur'an seriously and guide to Allah Azza wa and define yourself and teach the people and raise up as a real ummah or you will be taken away by the other people. This is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it. This is the situation that we're in. A lot of us are under pressure now to give da'wah by necessity. Had events not happened, you wouldn't have this necessity factor in your mind. Right now, many of you are shaking, ready to give da'wah because of the test that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put us in. So what I'm going to say right now is basically some people think that a person should never command the good and forbid the evil, which is not true. We see that the Prophet ﷺ himself, when he frowned and turned away from Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, Abasa wa tawalla. And another incident when the companion wrote the letter to the kuffar of Mecca that the Prophet was going to come, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse, Ya amanu la adui wa Don't take my enemies and your enemies as awliya. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered that. But now when um, people do this nasiha and there's a difference of opinion, it's always like, Everybody who goes into the discussion, the negotiation, they have to win and the other person has to lose. And that doesn't have to be the way. There are, you know, I have to win, you have to lose, or you're thinking on your moon sighting issue, you have to win, I have to lose. It doesn't have to be that way. And I'm going to give you examples of different scenarios between who wins and who loses. An example of, I lose and you win. There's some arguments, so you don't have to win every argument. Where if it's some issues, you can give the chance for the person to completely win the argument. And this is the examples that you have 
such as the Bedouins that would come to the Prophet ﷺ, grab him by the collar and say, give me from what Allah has given you, not from the wealth of your mother or father. The companions would want to kill someone like that. The Prophet ﷺ said, leave him. In this incident, he took him to his house and he told him, خُذْ مَا شِئْتَ وَدَعْ مَا He said, take whatever you want and leave whatever you want. And the, the man took what he wanted and then he said to the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, هَلْ أَحْسَنْتُ إِلَيْكَ He said, have I done good to you? He said, yes. And then he said, uh, the, the Bedouin said, أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّهُ وَشَهَدُ So the Prophet ﷺ said, come outside and tell them what you said to me. And so he publicly announced uh, that the Prophet ﷺ was the messenger of Allah. And then the Prophet ﷺ gave this analogy. He said that my example and your example is like a man who had a camel run away from them. So the people of the village, they want to assist in bringing the camel back. So they start shouting at the camel, Hey, you camel! Come back! So what is that? The camel says, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, the camel keeps running further away. And unfortunately, people give da'wah like that. It's just, it's just logical. You shout at a camel, he's not gonna come, the camel's not going to come running back. It will just run further away. So the camel owner, he says to those people, دَعُونِي وَنَاقَتِي He said, leave me and my camel. I know my camel better than you know. And so he goes to the camel, he takes some grass, and he starts ruffling it. He doesn't even chase the camel. All he does is he knows the camel can hear the ruffling of the, of the grass. And so on its own time, it comes back and it eats from his hand. And while it's eating from its hand, he grabs the rope. And he brings it back. And the Prophet ﷺ said that had I left you with this man, you would have hit him, you would have hurt him, he would have not you know, entered into Islam, and he would have been in hellfire. And so this is, there are moments where you can lose the, the argument for the sake of winning the heart of the person that you're with. Number two, I win and you lose. I win and you lose. There are issues that there are no compromise on them. And those are issues when you have uh, aqidah issues, issues that come up, there is no compromise. The example of this is the makhzumi woman who stole at the time of the Prophet And because she was from a affluent family, a wealthy family, they wanted to uh, have her punishment let go. Her hand was to be cut off. And the Prophet ﷺ got very angry at Usama radiallahu anhu for trying to intercede for her. And he said, Atashfa'u fi min hududillah. He said, Are you trying to intercede in one of the hudud of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And then he got up and, and he spoke to the people and he said, Waymullah, I swear by Allah, law anna Fatima tabinta Muhammadin saraqat, laqata'atu yadaha. That if Fatima, the daughter of Muhammad, stole, I would have cut her hand off. There's no compromise. And there's no uh, switch. The, um, the third is I win and you win. There are times, and this is very often, and you'll see this even in negotiation uh, books, where they'll say this is the ideal. That you actually leave the argument with both sides winning something. And I know in one negotiation book, they'll say a lot of people think that every negotiation is about slices of the pie. If you get more, I get less. And it doesn't have to be like that. For example, an orange. If you get uh, two slices and I get, you know, whatever, six slices, you will want more and I will lose more. It doesn't have to be that way because some of you are Indian here, right? Some of you are Indian? Indians? Yeah. All right. <laughs> the Indians like chutney. Do you like chutney? Yes, we love chutney. 
Do you make it with orange peel? Sometimes? No? <laughs> it's like, no. Okay, my mistake. My bad. <laughs> um, well, the British like marmalade, okay? How about that? <laughs> they like marmalade, and they make it with orange peel. And other Egyptians, they don't eat, they don't eat marmalade. So Egyptian, he wants the, the meat of the orange. And here's a British guy who just loves his morning tea, his uh, digestive biscuits, and his marmalade. And so in this negotiation, the two of them, one say, you take the orange peel, I take the meat of the orange, and we're both completely satisfied. Completely. And you will see in many times in negotiations of the Prophet ﷺ, in how he gave da'wah, this is what the conclusion was. That both parties went away with completely achieving what they wanted. And I'll give you this example. The Prophet ﷺ, when he sent the letters to, um, to the different rulers at that time, he said to them, Aslim Teslam. And you see, it's, it's the same word. Become Muslims, submit, and you will be safe. Not only that, you will have two times the reward. And the reward of all the people that will follow you will be your reward. And had they become Muslim, and they did, such as in Bahrain, when they became Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ made the leader who accepted Islam, he became the leader of the Muslims. Even though he had companions that with him, وسلم, who had done hijrah, who had been in Medina all those years, had fought all the battles, he didn't send them to Bahrain and tell them, look, you're the guy who became Muslim, that's, that's great, you need to step down. Prophet didn't do that. He was the leader, he remained the leader. So when they became Muslim... The people entered Islam and that's what the Prophet was searching to do. And those people wanted to maintain leadership and they kept it. I win and you win. In conclusion, inshallah, I just want to give you um, one technique for, inshallah ta'ala, solving a lot of, a lot of problems. In studying the history of the Khulafa, I learned a lot of lessons from, from their leadership. One of the things that I saw recurring again and again and again and again and again and again and again was the institution of shura. Was the institution of shura. It was a fundamental pillar of Islam. I'm not talking about something that they occasionally did. This is something that they always did. Always. And there are so many benefits to shura that very often we belittle the position and the institution of shura and we're in the problems that we have and the conflicts because we don't do uh, shura. And so the amazing thing about shura is that, and this is the example analogy of these two uh, very healthy and energetic, you can say, you have counselors? Do you guys say counselors here? Counselors? These people, they go on a mountain hike and there are two counselors. They take the people on mountain hikes. This is their job. One of them takes a group of ten people and he stands at the front of the, of the row. The front of them and he says, follow me. And there's another, uh, the other mountain guy whose job is to be at the back and make sure that the people who are lagging behind don't fall too far behind. So he says, come on, you can do it. Come on, go, go, go. Are they both leaders? Are they both leaders? The guy at the back is a leader? Is the guy at the back a leader? Any guys at the back? Are you guys leaders at the back? Are you guys leaders? Yeah. 
Wallahu a'lam. Wallahu a'lam. In our society, we don't give that position to the guy at the back, proper leadership. But he is a leader. And that job is important. It's interesting because no one would assume that the people sitting at the back are the leaders. But their job is equally important. Those guys at the back, when someone starts whispering, they start saying, brother, you know, this is a lecture, you need to keep quiet. And if the microphone starts going, like that, they got the microphone at the back, they're fixing it. Those are, those are jobs of leaders. Okay? So now, this is an interesting question that someone, one of the students asked me. And he said, did Abu Bakr anhu force the people to select him as Khalifa? This is a common Orientalist um, statement. They said, did Abu Bakr force them to accept him as Khalifa? And I, and I thought about this, because I heard about this analogy of being a leader from the back and leader from the front. Leader from the back is leadership through shura. But if you live your life not taking decisive action, then people will even get rid of a leader like that. So for example, in the analogy of the one leader at the back, one at the front, if there is one guy at the back who kept saying, come on, let's go, come on, let's go. People were like, look brother, you need to go to the front and guide us to where we're going because we don't know where we're going. And if he went to the front and spent all his time at the front, the people at the back would sag behind, they're like, this guy walks too fast, he never listens to us, we don't even want to go there and he's going there. He has to spend his time in both positions. From the back and from the front, from the back and from the front. So watch this. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, they know that the Khalifa is to be from Quraysh. They hear that there's people from the Ansar that are, are choosing leaders amongst themselves. So him, Umar radiallahu anhu, and Abu Ubaidah went to the Ansar. On the way to the Ansar, some of the Ansari people, the regulars, they stopped Abu Bakr and Umar and Abu Ubaidah. They said, where are you going? They said, we're going to uh, discuss this matter with our, our brothers, the Ansar. They said, on the Ansar, they said, don't worry about them. Choose it amongst yourself. Umar radiallahu said, No, wallahi, we will go to them. And we will include them in this matter. So they go to the Ansar, Saqif uh, al-Bani Sa'idah. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is listening to all the opinions. And he, doesn't just, he just doesn't cut them off and say, The hadith is like this, you should stop arguing. He didn't say that. Everybody said their opinion, there are many different opinions. People were coming in, giving their opinions. Then when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu spoke, after everybody had said their opinion, and he explained to them, why is it that the Khalifa has to be from Quraysh? Why is it that the Khalifa has to be from Quraysh? He said, because you know that the people will not follow any leader except that he's from Quraysh. And he wasn't looking at Medina. He was looking at the entire world. He was looking at the Arabian Peninsula, all those other countries. The Khalifa had to be from Quraysh. And then he said, after all that shura, he said, now get up and give bay'ah to Umar or Abu Ubaidah. Did he force them? You better believe he did. And that's what leaders do. They do shura and then they command. And so Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, Wallahi, I will never be uh, a leader with you underneath me. He grabbed Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's hand and he gave bayat to Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu became the Khalifa. And just so you understand, normally people become leaders after the Bank of Kuwait gives the $2 million check. That's when they like to be leaders. 
This is not the situation that Abu Bakr became the leader in. He became a leader when all the Arabs had apostated. And armies were ready to attack. Usually people are not sincere to leadership. That when the, when the going gets tough, they run away. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Aisha radiallahu anhu said that what the fitna that took place and hit the back of my father, if it was placed on a mountain, it would have crumbled the mountain. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did not take that because he coveted leadership like some kuffar will say or some misinformed Muslims. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did it in sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He lived in that leadership for two and a half years. And then he met with the Prophet sallallahu He was buried with the Prophet sallallahu And inshallah ta'ala we will learn these lessons of brotherhood and how to deal with one another from the example of the Prophet sallallahu and his companions. Subhanakallahum alhamdika ashadu ala ala anta staghfirka Okay, inshallah. Um, the Q&A session was, is meant to start at 10.30. So what I'm prepa- uh, proposing, inshallah, is that the questions that you want to ask uh, about this lecture, you save them, inshallah, and... Uh, the Sheikh is going to be returning for the Q&A session. So if we break now, we'll have uh, 20 minutes, inshallah, to refresh ourselves, and then we'll come back for the Q&A session. The questions, just stay seated for a minute, brothers, please. And once we come back for the Q&A 